we're going to turn our notebooks over as we do every week, and I left home without mine. How great is that? Um, but we're going to begin every week as we do in bringing our um, disciplines before us. And we're going to actually look at the purpose, and as we do, we're going to look at the disciplines throughout that. That's going to make sense. And I know it's easy at this time of the year to just uh, kind of zone out, check out, because we've heard it every single week, but we want to be sure that that aim is in front of us so that the aim is not here and we're shooting this way. We've missed our mark, so we want to be sure to, to keep that before us. So the Wellspring purpose starts out to equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible. And we're going to stop right there this morning. We can just be humbled by God's kindness that God would place us in a body of believers with elders who want to equip and encourage us. We are well cared for here at Grace Bible Church, are we not? Do you remember from Scott's sermon in Acts that the elders at Grace Bible have been chosen by the Holy Spirit? Do you remember, too, that they are to guard against themselves? And they are serious about guarding their own hearts and about shepherding one another. And they're serious about how they shepherd the flock. Mm. This is evidenced in the many ways that they care for us, and I would dare say it's fair that they care for us in ways that we are even unaware of. The elders understand that the body of of Grace Bible doesn't belong to them, but to the Lord himself who bought the body of Christ as his own. This is cause for us to give thanks to God for this good gift. The Lord has appointed faithful men to lead and protect us, and we want to make it easy for them to shepherd us. So now what is it that they want to equip and encourage us to do? See it in the, God, in the purpose? To shepherd our hearts toward Jesus Christ with the word of God. That's discipline one. The faithful woman of God shepherds her heart worshipfully toward God and in particular the gospel. It's dangerous for us to be consumed with our own hearts off by ourselves without the word of God. But we are to be diligent about bringing this heart daily before Jesus Christ, our Savior, and daily before his word. It's the only safe place for us to examine our hearts and the safest place to be transformed, to be more like him as we behold his greatness for who he is and what he's accomplished on the cross. That's why discipline one is worth fighting for. We must do everything we possibly can to keep God's word before us throughout our day. And maybe you're in a season or a place where you need help, help to organize your day and manage your time so that it's the highest priority. That's a sister in Christ. Remember Jacob's lesson from just a couple of weeks ago and be reminded of the great need we have for our hearts. Remember he said, don't clean up the outside of the body while there's poison flowing through the pipes. And my desire to guard my heart is no guarantee that I will guard my heart. Our hearts need and must have continual guarding. And why do we shepherd our hearts toward Jesus Christ with the word? In your purpose, so that we live out the gospel, gospel transformed lives. That's the result of spending time with Jesus and his word. The gospel transforms us and consequently transforms how we live, how we think, how we act, how we respond, how we serve one another, so that those in our home first That's discipline two. The faithful woman of God is concerned for those in her home and ministers to them with her heart fixed on God and his word. And the result of this impact is how our purpose concludes. Thus, 
strengthening the church in its gospel purpose. Discipline three, with a heart fixed on God and keeping her God-given ministry within her home a priority, the faithful woman of God steps into the church in every part of life to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. Remember, all of life is ministry. And remember here that these disciplines don't happen, um, they're happening simultaneously. We don't uh, graduate from discipline one, move on to discipline two, and we've got that all wired, then we move on to discipline three. We'll be pursuing these disciplines all at the same time. So as long as you and I think that how we respond, uh, shepherd our hearts is just about us, or only as big as our little world, the places we go and the people we see, we can become maybe content with a half-hearted pursuit of Christ. But when we remember that God has placed us in the body of Christ and that we're all members of it, and that's God's mean for displaying the fullness of Christ in us, is for us, to build up one another in the faith, then we realize how serious it is for us to be caring for our own hearts. And hasn't it been encouraging to see so many in our bodies who have lived this out? There is evidence of a diligent walk with Christ over many years and shepherding their own hearts so that in the most difficult of circumstances, others, their faith has encouraged us, right? God has designed that our lives and faith in the Lord builds up another's faith. It builds up our church and the church body as a whole. Today we're going to be looking more closely at Discipline 2 as we look at Proverbs 14.1. So let's pray before we get into that part. Lord, we are thankful. We were guilty, but we are pardoned by grace. We've been set free. We were ransomed through the blood you shed. We were dead in transgressions, but life you brought to us. I'm reconciled through mercy to the cross I cling. Oh God, what gracious and kind things you have done for us. And the first and foremost is our salvation is choosing us to belong to you. Rebels who were in great opposition to you, running from you, and had no desire for you, no thought of you. But because of your great love for us, you sent your son to die in our place, to take our penalty upon his back. And because of that, we are healed. And we live now new, as new creatures, new creations, And we live to glorify you, to honor you. Our life is no longer our own, but it belongs to you. And we want to make much of you today. So Lord, I pray that your words that are powerful and mighty to save, to change our hearts, would do that this morning as we come under your word. May we be humble as we sit and listen. And Lord, just um, thank you for the impact that you already have brought to my heart as I've been preparing this lesson. I want to love you. I want to love you more. We want to love you more, and we want to display that to those around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Excuse my papers this morning. My computer pad this yesterday went out on me, and so I kind of panicked. I have papers, so I'm afraid if I'm... I'm um, just thanks for your graces. I probably am going to be looking down a whole lot more than um, on my screen. So Proverbs 14.1 sure you're all very familiar. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. It's a short verse, but it's packed full of truth and of warnings. We want to be sure first that we understand what a proverb is. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. It's usually a short saying which gives insight into life and human behavior. 
but it cannot be interpreted as prophecy, promise, or absolute doctrine. So there's an example on your outline, Proverbs 16, 7. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Well, that's true generally speaking. However, we know that Jesus' ways were always pleasing to God the Father, but his enemies were not at peace with him. That doesn't mean the proverb is wrong, because we know that God's word is inerrant. It is without error. It simply means that it's not a promise or an absolute doctrine. It's a wise saying, a general insight into life. Proverbs examines all kinds of situations of life and evaluates, is this wise or is this foolish? Well, home is the place where we first display all that the gospel has done in us because of Christ's work on the cross. It's also the place where we most dramatically see where we must still fight for the gospel's influence in our lives. True? Well, build in this verse does not refer to constructing a physical house, but caring for a household and causing it to flourish, to help prosper it, and to thrive it, and help thrive in every way. Whereas a woman of wisdom builds up her household, as we're going to see, a woman of folly lives in such a way that her household is neglected. A wise woman blesses those whom God has placed in her household. We all have a home, don't we? Some with family, some live with roommates. Maybe you live alone. Seasons are going to change for all of us. Maybe you're a young woman living with her parents. We all have opportunities to build up our homes. And our home even extends to those who God brings, maybe even for a meal. She's going to order her home with diligence, intently loving and doing good and not harm to those in her home. She takes great pains to profit those in her home in every way and every day. In contrast to the wise woman, the foolish woman tears her house down, even though she may do it inadvertently. She may be given to contentiousness, ungratefulness, bitterness, using her words for demolition tools and demolishing her home. This foolish woman will destroy those people closest to her, We might envision the foolish in regards to a home as a large wrecking ball swung from a crane into a home or building that destroys the home in an instant. You've all seen that. There was action happened before the demolition, the actual demolition, but on this day, all is brought to light and destruction happens. Or, perhaps in contrast, like a termite, destroying a home little by little, damaging the structure of the home before the damage is visible. Left unchecked, those small bugs will eat away the home and it will be destroyed. So on your outline, you can flip to there or um, just listen and write out quickly. Proverbs twelve eighteen. There is one whose rash words are sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And Proverbs eighteen twenty one, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We possess that. And we find in 1 Corinthians 1.30 that although the message of the cross is foolishness to fools, to those who are perishing, it is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. Christ has become, for the believer, wisdom from God. And we're going to see that. Would you turn with me, though, to Proverbs 2? 
one through six. Here's a strenuous call for a search for wisdom. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Well, it goes on to tell us the value of wisdom in that chapter. So we learn there that wisdom comes from the Lord. Here we see that we participate in pursuing, growing, and obtaining wisdom. And it's clear from here that a fool's only hope is for God, the all-wise God, to make one wise. I hope I didn't. For the Lord gives wisdom. And when God gives wisdom to a fool, that one is cured of his foolishness. His affections, desires, thinking, and living are changed. The foolish one is given a new heart and a new identity. Only God can change the hearts of men. But what about believers? Ever wonder like I did for so many years? I think I'm a believer, but as I read that verse in Proverbs, I feel like more like a fool. It was at Grace Bible and Wellspring that God used to give me a greater understanding of the heart that has been changed by God. We're talking about the mixed condition. And we're going to see that played out as we go further in our lesson. There is the one who, as a fool, is without Christ. That's the definition for a fool, is one without Christ. He has a life characterized by foolishness. One who has not been saved by God. As we read Proverbs and the whole book, all of God's word, and evaluates our hearts as one who has been saved by God and still battling the sin of foolishness. That's the mixed condition. The Christian's life is not characterized by foolishness, though the residue of foolishness is in our hearts. But we remember, as an encouragement, the power of sin has been broken, the penalty of sin has been paid by Christ, but the presence of sin still remains. We have sin's residue in our hearts. There's still foolishness, to be sure. Do you ever feel as though you're becoming more sinful as you grow closer to the Lord? That's because we're made more aware of our sin against a holy God as we learn more about Him and grow in love for Him. In reality, God is purifying His beloved bride. We praise Him for this. This is a gift that we can recognize and turn from our sin. He's made that true for us. So when we see fool in scripture, we ought to think two things. One, this is one whose only hope is for God to give him a new heart, or this is one who knows God but is acting foolishly at this moment. Is flesh ruling? We're going to look at Galatians 5 a little later, but the description of the one who is walking in the flesh versus the one who is walking in the spirit is found there. So we're talking about one characterized by one or the other. As the believer, we're going to display some of the deeds of the flesh, but not characterize that by them. Proverbs is not speaking to us as followers of Christ about our salvation. 
This is not about salvation. We are no longer fools because God the Father has adopted us as his children. But Proverbs evaluates that residue of sin in our hearts. And so when we see ourselves in Proverbs, as we bring our hearts before God, God's word laid bare before him, and we see wisdom in our lives, we praise him. That's his grace in our lives. And when we see foolishness there, we look to God's grace in the gospel for the power to turn from foolishness and to walk in wisdom once again. The stage has been set as we look at the contrast between these two kinds of women, the foolish and the wise. The wise woman, fully dependent on God and his word, builds up, figuratively speaking, the prosperity of her home. So the descriptions of wise women in Proverbs, Proverbs 11:16a, and this is just a few, a gracious woman obtains honor, attains honor. Proverbs 19:14, a prudent wife is from the Lord. In Proverbs 31:10 and verse 30, all an excellent wife who can find for her worth is far above rubies. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. What makes this woman excellent? It's the fear of the Lord. And on your outline, we're going to see two important characteristics of the wise. The first blank, the wise woman listens well. The wise woman is teachable. There's an eagerness to receive instruction and learning, as well as rebuke and discipline. Does this describe you and I? A wise woman is in a full-on pursuit to grow in her understanding and to grow in her grasp of the gospel. This woman continues to saturate herself in gospel truths and realities and strives to know them more and more. She seeks to remember that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. A wise woman has nothing to dread because she's drawn upon the cross of Christ. She belongs to him. This woman who trusts in Jesus no longer comes to her, him in her own righteousness, of which she has none. She comes in his righteousness. And the deeper our understanding of our own sin and the holiness of our God, the sweeter the mercy his mercy on the cross becomes. The more bitter sin becomes, the sweeter love for Jesus becomes. She listens well because she is eager to know God and to pursue him. I'm going to go on with the, um, on our outline, the descriptions of a wise woman. Proverbs 8.33, a wise woman heeds instruction and doesn't neglect it. Proverbs 9, 8, she loves the one who reproves her. Is that how we respond? You see, we don't see our blind spots. We need others to help us. God uses others in our lives to help. We are instruments in the Redeemer's hand to be used to fulfill his purposes in one another's lives. Proverbs 10, 8 and Proverbs fifteen thirty one, A wise woman receives commands and she listens to life giving reproof, unlike the babbling fool that will be ruined. Proverbs 19.20, a wise woman listens to counsel and accepts discipline. A wise woman, when she is taught, becomes wiser still. And Proverbs 8.34, a 
a wise woman also listens to wisdom. We see that a teachable spirit begins with a spirit of humility. It's a spirit that recognizes that we, like Paul, are the greatest of sinners. And you have Galatians 5, 23, the fruit of the spirit characterizing the wise woman. A teachable spirit is descriptive of a woman who knows she needs to change and grow and is eager to do that. It might even be being inviting, I'm sorry, be inviting others to speak into your life. You might ask, what do you see in my life that you think I don't see? That's humbling, but as that is seeking to grow in wisdom. The second blank on your outline, the wise woman speaks wisely. Proverbs 16:23, the heart of the wise instructs his mouth. And Jesus made the same point in Luke 6:45. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. His mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. And our wellspring verse, Proverbs 4:23, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Challenges will come. You and I will sin, and we will be sinned against. Trials will come. Do you know that even prosperity is a great test of what is in my heart? Whatever is in my heart is going to be revealed. We want a purpose together to spend ourselves to be filled with the gospel of Christ so that what spills out is gospel, realities, and truths, and others will be drawn to him because of that. It was so great that Scott shared with us last week the sample prayer. I had it in my lesson and then took it out. Um, One of the paragraphs again reads, I desire my heart and mind to be filled with you because because of what your word reveals to me about you. I long for you to spill out of me into my home and wherever you lead me today. All who come in contact with me today must interact with a woman whose heart has drawn near to you. Their best hope for salvation or for growth in the gospel will come from one who has searched for you in your word and gazed upon your son in the gospel. We are useful to the Lord as we submit ourselves to him through his word. Look at what scripture says about our words as we continue on, starting in Proverbs 10:19 on your outline. A wise woman restrains her lips. A wise woman isn't rash, but rather her tongue brings healing. There's Proverbs 12, 18 again. A wise woman's teaching is a fountain of life. It turns away aside the snares of death. A wise woman's lips protect in Proverbs 14, 3. A wise woman makes knowledge acceptable and her lips spread knowledge. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. The wise woman will wisely and carefully reprove another, and the wise woman will listen. All of these verses show that to be wise, one must guard her heart well, so that what comes from her mouth is thoughtful, helpful, protective, instructive, and winsome. Well, we are sinners living with sinners. The question is then, how will I respond in a given circumstance? Will we build up or will we tear down? Will we respond in light of the gospel? Will I think of another as more important than myself? Will I seek to serve in love? God has richly supplied us with everything we need to respond rightly. 
to speak wisely and to be intentional in our relationships and in our homes. So we can summarize one who is wise is how we listen and how we speak. Now let's move on to the contrasting foolish woman in Proverbs. Words is one way that we tear down our homes, but Proverbs speak to many other ways we can tear down our homes. The next blank is, for example, Proverbs speaks severe warnings against the sexually immoral woman. We're not going to sp- spend a lot of time here, but there are references in your note for further study on your own. But before we leave, we want to understand what sexual immorality is. And that might say, sound like a funny question. And yet in today's world, much of the world has seeped into the church, and we want to be guarding against that. But biblically, God calls us to be pure. That means that we view others as brothers and sisters in Christ, seeking to speak, act, dress, even think in a way that does them good, that helps them see Christ in us and spurs them on to love and to good deed. And that's not just brothers and sisters in Christ, that's brothers and sisters. The only relationship that's to go beyond that is if we are married to that one man. And in that context, sex is good. It is not immoral, it's pure, and it's god honoring but being sex i'm sorry bringing sex or being sexually provocative or immodest in the way we dress or as jesus said even thinking sinfully sexually about another person is immoral but like any sin sexual immorality is birthed in our heart even if we think we aren't behaving in a way that is immoral we still need to check our hearts we need to be suspect of our hearts So we can ask ourselves questions like, where are my affections? Do I desire what I shouldn't? Am I content with what God's given me or he hasn't given me? Am I conducting myself in a way that's loving in my dress, in my conduct, in my speech? Those kind of questions can help us identify if there are any roots of sexual immorality in our hearts. And we must be careful to guard our hearts by what we watch and what we read what we listen to there's a lot of worldly views that penetrate the tv screens movie theaters new york bestsellers and social media it's nothing less than sexual immorality though they may use some beautiful music and some beautiful actors and actresses it is vile and it is wrong in guarding our hearts it's about what we allow in and what we keep out i ask myself as I ask you, how are you doing? Ladies, we must not be entertained by what Christ has died for. So we want to be guarding. The next blank, Proverbs also warns against idleness throughout Proverbs. Idleness tears down our homes. Here are some questions for a check. Whom do I serve? Am I a hectic sluggard? Busy, busy, busy? and never accomplishing the important? Do I neglect priorities that God has given me, or do I do what I want to do? Laziness or idleness also tears down. It's characteristic of a foolish woman. It's rooted in self-love. It's the ability to take myself off the hook. It's a willing to permit ourselves not to do the things we know we should do believing that good things are going to come my way and I don't have to work for them. 
It's opting for what is comfortable for myself rather than what is best for others. One way this can be seen is in the discipline of our children. Raising children is hard work. I'm speaking to the choir here. And my eye must be on what is best for my child and not my own pleasure or comfort at the moment. Laziness is always self-focused and self-excusing. It is undisciplined and unmotivated. It expects more from others than we require from ourselves. Laziness demands good things without willing to invest in them. So these warnings are serious, and the references are in the notes for the immoral and idle woman for further study. Today we're going to focus on contentiousness, to be ready to use our words to build up rather than to tear down. Remember, our tongues have the power to heal and the power to destroy. So, number three, a contentious woman. The definition of contentious is to be given to angry, debate, to be quarrelsome, strife, or discord. Proverbs 19.13, the contentions of a wife are a constant dripping. Proverbs 21.9 and 19, it's better to live in a corner of a roof than a house shared with a contentious woman. It's better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. And the word vexing is to provoke or to stir up, to irritate, distress, debate and anger. It might look like one who wants to have the last word. Proverbs 27, a constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. He who would restrain her restrains the wind and grasps oil with his right hand. One of the most sobering examples of contentiousness in the word is seen in the Israelites during their wilderness wanderings. See if you identify yourself with them. I'm certain we all can. So let's turn to Exodus 17, verse 1. Exodus 17. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin according to the command of the Lord and camped at Rephidim but there was no water for the people to drink so they have a real need they need water but the problem we're going to see is in their response to the need therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said give us water to drink and Moses said to them why do you quarrel with me why do you test the Lord you ever find yourself complaining like this? Grumbling and complaining about the weather? We can find so many things. Grumbling and complaining are signs of contention, and we tear down our homes and relationships when our heart is filled with discontent. Thankfulness cultivated in our hearts kills contentiousness. Thankfulness cultivated in our hearts kills contentiousness. Thinking on all that God has done for us in salvation, what we truly deserve, and what he has given us, and all that he gives us today in earthly blessings is a sure way to battle the sin. There is always something to be thankful for when we know Christ. He is always at work in our hearts, in our lives, in our circumstance, and it's always good because he is good. 
He is trustworthy. Well, God was gracious to his people. In spite of their sinful responses, he provided their need. He provided water. But the passage goes on to give us the lesson God had for them. In verse 7, He named the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Well, what can we learn? Genuine need does not excuse a sinful response. Genuine need does not excuse a sinful response. God is watching to see how we will respond. Contentiousness breeds more sin. Grumbling, fear, and accusation, one sin leads to another. And sin always travels with companions. If there's one, very likely there'll be another sin right there with them. And three, complaining fails to acknowledge what is true about God and his faithfulness. Complaining fails to acknowledge what is true about God and his faithfulness. Here is an example of one who has fallen short of his understanding of God, or one who's short-sighted. We preach to ourselves verses that speak to God's faithfulness when we're in that situation, preaching the gospel to ourselves, and we will not complain. Again, we want to remind one another of these truths when there's a need. God's view in contentious, contentiousness is that we are actually testing him. We're not believing that he is actually among us or that he cares for us, or that he's at work for our good. He has promised these things to us. We're not trusting God's goodness to us when we complain that what we have at this moment is his best. Blessings and difficulties both. It will do us good again to look at the cross. God provided for our greatest need in salvation, and he will supply our every need now, no matter what. There are no exceptions, ever. Life is hard, and circumstances can be very, very difficult. No matter what we face, we can be confident that they have passed through the Lord's hands. He loves us, and he is at work in them. One of the names of God is El Roy. He sees and he knows. Well, this same pattern shows up throughout Israel's 40 years of wandering to the near end. They had 40 years of God's faithfulness, and yet they continue to be contentious. Proverbs reveals that contention is stirred up by anger. You'll see Proverbs 29, 22. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. 15:18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Contention is stirred up by arrogance. A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Contention is stirred up by gossip. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. Contention also creates defensiveness. Contentions are like the bars of a citadel, it says in Proverbs 18:19. When a city was under attack, the people of the city would bar themselves in for protection. Well, this type of defensive action in our homes actually brings division. There's contention, and one party hides away emotionally or spiritually, 
and there's withdrawal from one another. Well, rather than responding foolishly in anger or in pride, rather as the wise, maybe the next time you encounter this control or anger or withdrawal in a relationship, we can look behind those behaviors and discern the real issue. More often than not, it will be a hidden concern in another or anxiety. Instead of defending ourselves, maybe we could try something like, I've just realized how concerned you must be about, describe it as graciously as you can about the situation. Please help me to understand more clearly how you're feeling so we can work on this together. The more quickly we address one another's with gentleness and kindness and the love of Christ, the more often we're going to see a positive result because our aim is to please the Lord. And who among us has not been hurt by words of another? Who hasn't regretted something that we ourselves have said? Who can say my words are always appropriate to the situation and they're always kindly spoken? None of us. So we want to be gentle with one another. I hope you're seeing how we can build up if we are, um, as we are diligent to bring our hearts to God and to his word. You see, the more our eyes are turned to Christ, the more diligently we are pursuing him, the more we gaze upon his character and see his glory, the less we're going to desire to sin. We're going to grow in holiness. I don't believe any woman wants to tear down her home. It's not something we want, but many women do, because it's the aim not to glorify God, but self. We're driven more by personal gain, personal desire, than God's glory, and our homes are torn down. Maybe it isn't completely destroyed at once like the termite, but it doesn't thrive. And this doesn't just happen, right? We just naturally desire our own way. God's glory, then, is a battle that we fight for against the sin of selfishness or impatience. So that when someone in my home does or says something contrary to my desire or plan, I'm going to stop and respond in a way that brings glory to God. We display his kindness when we respond in kindness. Or we display his patience when we are patient with one another. So we must be preparing for, battling for, and aware of our hearts so that what comes out of our mouth will be good that is stored up in our hearts because we've purposed to know God and his character. Through our attitudes and our words and our behavior, we have the power to bless and build up the lives of those around us, and we have the power to tear down and destroy, as we have said. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. I'm sorry, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We learn here that Jesus is the Word. He's the only hope for our words. Apart from him, we can do no good thing. Paul Tripp writes about speaking redemptively. It's about choosing our words carefully. It's not just about the words we say, but also about the words we choose not to say, or the timing of those words, or the tone in which we speak those words. We want to refuse to let our talk be driven by passion and personal desire, but communicate instead with God's purposes in view. Are we prepared for what sanctification will cost? Sanctification, remember, is the process of becoming more like Christ. It's going to cost an intense narrowing of our own interests on earth and an immense broadening of all of God's interests. 
Sanctification means intense concentration on God's point of view. It means every power of my body, soul, and spirit are chained and kept for God's purposes only. We, we need him. God's wise redemptive purpose is to use relationships as a workroom for our ongoing work of sanctification. In all relationships, hearts will be exposed and changed as we come under him in submission to his words. We can trust him. He has promised to finish the work he has begun in us. We say it often, our God is mighty to save. And Christ doesn't... um, and his might doesn't lie in making us a believer and then leaving us to fend for ourselves. But he who begins the good work will complete it. That is encouraging. Instead of demanding change in one another, we want to learn what it means to speak redemptively in the face of heart and disappointment and failure in order to build up our homes and to bring glory to God. What does it mean for us to choose our words, to speak redemptively, to forsake contention? Let's look at a couple passages that point us in that direction. Both passages define what it means to choose our words so that we may be part of what he's doing. Galatians 5, we're going to be starting in verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring, watch out. You will be destroyed by one another. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Are our relationships shaped by the rule of love? Are they showing forth the servant posture we are called to? We seek God to reveal how we could be used to encourage one another and support what he is doing in the life of another and in my own heart. We want to obey God when he says, spur one another on to love and good deeds. We make it our aim to look for ways to comfort, encourage, warn, and teach another. It's important to view the difficulty as an opportunity to minister God's grace. We have a chance to make in this moment of disagreement or fear or whatever it is before us with another. We look to serve and not to be served. This builds up our home and our body. Either I'm living as a servant of the Lord and accepting his call to serve those around me, or I'm living to gratify my own sinful nature and expecting others to gratify that as well. And James 4, 1 and 2 explains our desires, how they affect the dynamics of a relationship. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within? You want something but you don't get it. And in Galatians 14, again, the law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. This also offers a significant insight. The problem in our relationships are not fundamentally person to um, horizontal, person to person, but vertical, person to God. My relationship with the Lord must be right so that what bears fruit is here. If I'm living for God's glory, if I hold this as a personal goal more than my own happiness, if my love for him stands above my love for anyone or anything else, including myself, then my practical goal in life will be to please him. Once your fruit of such a heart commitment to God is that I will love my neighbor as myself. When a desire for a certain thing replaces love for God as the controlling force of my heart, the result will be conflict in my relationships. Conflict has vertical roots 
that produce horizontal fruit of fighting and quarreling. Love for God that makes me want to keep his law will always result in practical love toward my husband, my child, my roommate, my parents. Communication is designed to build up. Jesus is the word. We want to strengthen and encourage one another. Change at the level of, I'm sorry, change at the level of the heart fundamentally alters the way we speak to one another. The problem is not that we have problems. The core issue is the way of the desire of our hearts dictates our responses to each other in the midst of those problems. When we live for ourselves and one another, we devour one another. When our hearts are not ruled by the law of love, but by desires of the sinful nature, and we look to have our own dreams, desires, and demands fulfilled, we're foolish. This passage is a helpful guide for what it means to speak and to build up. And remember the circle chart that we had? That is a great reference to go back to, or transformation of um, man chart. Those are helpful tools to, to, to recognize our sin to, um, and to help us um, remind, remembering truth that leads us in the way of the Lord. As long as indwelling sin remains, there will be a war within our own hearts. We live aware of this conflict because to forget that presence and power of indwelling sin will immediately lead to problems in our talk. Never giving in to the desire of the sinful nature as we talk, all of us wrestle with conflicting desires when something has gone wrong. We may desire that an appropriate, godly solution be found, but other desires are operating as well. We may desire to shift blame or separate ourselves from responsibility. We might desire to rehearse all the other times this person has hurt us or failed us. We might desire to share the failure of this person with another. We might be jealous that someone is getting more attention than we think we deserve. We might feel bitter and filled with hatred towards someone who has consistently failed us. We build our relationships and our homes up by saying no to any of this communication that will flow from these desires. We don't speak first by examining the situation. We begin first by examining our own hearts. Building up our home means to speak in a way that is contrary to what the Spirit is seeking. The most important thing in my life, our lives, is the completion of God's work in me and in others. We never want to obstruct what he's doing as a redeemer in the little moments of life. We want to recognize that those ultimately, those moments belong to him. They are the workroom in which he is doing his work of sanctification. If I'm seeking to live consistently with the Spirit's work in me and not give room for the enemy, I must be willing to examine my talk with the mirror of the Word of God. We all want the words of our heart and the meditation of our, I'm sorry, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart to be pleasing to the Lord. So we daily bring ourselves before his Word. You see, the greatest way to build up our home is to have a thriving relationship with the Lord, to be so near to him. And we do that throughout the day. We do well to pay attention to our hearts. How do I respond in this situation? Why? What is going on in my heart? Are my words building up or tearing down? It's clearly one or the other. How about the cold shoulder or not speaking but thinking wrong thoughts? That's just as damaging because all are rooted in the heart. 
We don't examine ourselves in a morbid, discouraged attitude of self-criticism. We do it with joy, realizing because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, we don't have to live under the control of the sinful nature. We've been bought with a price. We no longer are our own. We must say no to any rationalization or blame-shifting or self-serving arguments that would excuse talk that's contrary to his work. Again, go back and use those resources that we've been given. And I want to see the difficult situations of life as sovereignly given opportunities to see his fruit um, produced and matured in me by his grace. Difficulties are not objects of the development of this fruit, but opportunities to see it grow. And we can be gentle with another. Gentleness flows from knowing where our power lies. God can use whispered words to produce thunderous conviction in the heart. Yes, we want to think and speak well, but only because we want to be helpful to him who does bring change, not because we trust our skills to produce it in another. Gentle talk does not come from a person who is angry and looking to settle the score. It comes from the person who is speaking, not because he wants what, what he wants from you, but what he wants for you. In our homes, we can build up when we want what is best for others, the good I want for you. I'm able to speak gently only when I'm not speaking out of personal hurt or anger, but out of self-sacrificing love. I speak to you not because your sin has affected me, that's where anger can come in, but because it has ensnared you, looking with love on you. I long to see you freed from its snare. I'm not on a mission to selfish confrontation, but of loving rescue. And doesn't this show us again how desperately we need God? We must prepare this heart, ready to respond this way, to always be pleasing to the Lord, and that's being near to him. I will choose to live other-centered living and other-centered communication. God calls us to look beyond personal comfort and good of my own to see the person struggling to carry his load. This is the way of Christ. Building up our homes means choosing our words carefully. We're committed to serve one another in love. I'm just going to read a couple here of the contrast to help me evaluate whether my words build up or tear down. I frequently express gratitude for the benefits that I've received from God and others, or I frequently grumble about having what I don't want or wanting what I don't have. Or I'm quick to humble myself and seek forgiveness when I've wronged someone, or I tend to defend or justify myself rather than admitting when I am wrong. You see, building up and tearing down. I'm faithful in praying for God's work in another's lives, my parents, my husband, children. Have I prayed about this as much as I've grumbled about it? The tongue is a little member of the body, but it is one member that must be yielded to God as a tool of righteousness, one of many members. When we're wise with our words, we're placing our trust in God, confident of his faithfulness to work for his glory and my good as I obey him. I love 1 Peter 2.23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Well, we fight the sin of contention by remembering God's character. He can only ever be kind and good. Always think the best. Love hopes all things. 
Don't underestimate our own sinfulness. In our time with the Lord, ask him to show what is pleasing in my speech and what what is not. We can align our hearts as we are in his word. Cultivate a heart of thankfulness. Look around you and give thanks for all the things, for this is his will in Christ Jesus. Look for it in the word. Look for all that he has accomplished. Well, there are many other ways in Scripture we can build up our homes, but today we focused on our tongues and how they reveal what is in our hearts. Well, contentiousness is repeated warning in the home, as we have seen, but we must remember our hope. This would be bad news apart from hope. On your outline, gospel hope for contentious women. Turn to 1 Peter 1, 2, 24. With me, please. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin, immorality or idleness, contentiousness, and live to righteousness. And be thankful, contented, peaceful women. For by his wounds we are healed. We've been forgiven. We are new creatures in Christ. Thinking on and praising the Lord for his character and for the gospel is another part of shepherding my heart throughout the day. The gospel helps me move from a performance relationship with God to one based on the sinless life and sin-bearing death of Christ. It reminds me that from God's point of view, my relationship is not based on how um, content I am, how good or bad, or how wise or foolish I am, but upon the perfect goodness and death of Christ and the resurrected Savior. The gospel frees me to honestly face and acknowledge my sin. You see, if I don't see my sin or acknowledge it, I will not see my need for him and continue to trust in self-righteousness. The good news reminds me that God no longer counts that sin against me. Our Father is loving, and he is a kind master. Ladies, tearing our home down takes time, little by little, little here, little there, like the termites, or there are times that great ruin happens quickly, like the wrecking ball. Great damage takes place. and it takes much time to rebuild. Maybe it's for a time unnoticed, words said or not said. Romans 12, 2 tells us, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. If we are thinking thoughts consistent to the world's ways, like being annoyed or disappointed or prideful, those are the kind of words that are going to come out of our mouth. Christ calls us to renew our minds, to think like Christ. That is part of shepherding our hearts throughout the day. Sin left unchecked and swept under the rug or hidden in a closet looks okay, but there's a fire smoldering, and it will soon erupt into a huge fire. The house is destroyed. Oh, for grace that we would be builders of our homes. There will be times that we see the residue of foolishness in our hearts, revealed through our thoughts and words. What spills out of a cup of coffee? Coffee. And what spills out of my heart will reveal what is there at any given moment. Praise God for the ability to see and turn from our sin. As you and I are diligent to renew our minds with scripture, rather than being more familiar with the voices of the world, by knowing God and showing our love for him by obeying his word, we can build up our home. This building up of our home not only builds our home, but it builds up each other's homes. And it builds up the body of Grace Bible Church. 
and the church at large. We can influence our country. The way we live our lives, it says in Titus 2, is to be a demonstration of the jewel of the gospel truth. Titus 2.10b says that in everything, that we might adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. We can be women who speak redemptively. Christ has equipped us to speak, to build up. The gospel is a call to forsake um, living according to the cravings of the sinful nature so that we might live for Christ. I hope that we've seen a little more the importance of being diligent to bring our hearts to the Lord through his word. We see the more we look at Christ, the more we pursue him, the more we gaze upon his character, as I said, the less we desire to sin. We're going to grow in holiness. You see, when I see in the word that God does not treat me as my sins deserve, as it says in Psalm 103.10, and being his word, I recognize and see my sin, I learn that he is kind also, and that he is full of love and mercy, and he's quick to forgive that sin. That compels me to love him more and to pursue holiness. 2 Corinthians 5 says that for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So let us pursue Christ diligently this week that we might be wise women whose affections are for him and whose trust is in him, who is our Savior and our King and who is the word, that our heart homes might be built up for his glory. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you bore our sins in your body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For it is by your wounds that we are healed. Oh Father, how gracious and kind you are. You continue to bless us with blessings despite our sin daily against you you continue to love us and you are quick to forgive oh lord i pray that today our hearts would be pure before you in every way our thoughts would be pure our hearts would be pure that we would desire you more and more lord help us to to know how to spur one another on to encourage one another in our walk with you oh lord may you be glorified and made much of may you be magnified in our own hearts and in our homes and in our church, and in our country. God, we thank you that you are sovereign. You are in control of every circumstance in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, in our homes, in our country. God, you are good, and we are thankful for you. In Christ's name I pray, amen.